the Do You Cash Flow podcast, where we talk about real estate, real estate investing, flipping, managing, pretty much anything about making money in real estate. If you're new to the show, this is a weekly show that publishes every Friday. And if you get the and if you get value out of the show, please subscribe to the podcast. It really helps our ratings. And hit that share button and send it to a friend that you think could benefit from creating sustainable wealth through real estate investing and ownership. I'm Jason Kirchin, along with Kyle Balaf. This is the Do You Cash Flow podcast. So, Kyle, who are we talking to today? We're talking to Becca Summers from Utah. She's one of the top agents for Keller Williams, and she's also purchased a lot of her own long-term rentals. And so we're just going to talk about that today. What's up, Becca? How are you? Good. So where Doing in Utah- well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for uh, joining us. So where in Utah exactly are you? Uh, so I'm located in Utah County, which is about a half hour south of Salt Lake City. Awesome. So I spent, uh, I think you and I were talking offline a minute ago, I spent the last couple of years up in Midway Park City area and um, I found it to be a lot colder than I thought it was going to be. So I moved back to the beach. I don't blame you. We are known for snow. But I think the edge, it uh, it's it's just a, a stitch warmer down there in the valley area, right? So it kind of takes the edge off? Yes, definitely. The snow gets dumped on the mountains and the valley's just fine. Yeah. <laughs> I think that maybe that's where we went wrong, you know? All the midways real pretty. So tell us about yes, uh, tell us about your real estate business. Um, so I started in 2013 uh, as a solo agent, and I started with Keller Williams. And I've just been building my business. Last year, I uh, finished number eight in the state for solo agents in production, and number two in my office. And I have really enjoyed it. Wow, finish number eight in the state. Did you say? Yes. And and that's in in uh, like retail sales. Yep, um, residential real estate. So okay. sales in residential real estate okay. as a solo producer. So, um, have you always been in real estate? You said you started in twenty thirteen. What did you do before that? Um. So I worked at a grocery store, and um, I actually worked with Kyle at a long term care facility. That's how I met Kyle when he was in Utah. So, a bunch of odd jobs, nothing sales related. So, why did you get into real estate? What what drew you? Uh, probably the same reason that draws everyone to real estate: the freedom, flexibility, financial incentives. Which they're all there, but it's not as easy as it appears. Yeah. So, joined and learned what it really is. Well, so, you know, getting into real estate, like general sales, for instance, um, you know, I've been in, in real estate. I've been a, a licensed agent since 2003 and a broker since 2012. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I remember back in the boom days, people were just going to get in their real estate license. They're like, well, I'm going to go, I'm gonna go get rich, go get rich quick. And, you know, then they'd get in because they had a couple of friends and they'd do a couple of transactions and then they would not do anything for years. And, um, it takes a lot of work and effort and, and more importantly, it takes consistently consistency. You've got to do the same thing for a long time. And then eventually you just build a book of business and, and, uh, and it does grow and it does grow fast once you kind of get going, but it takes a while to kind of really ramp up. Is that kind of what you experienced? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, real estate has an 87% failure rate because so many people get into it thinking that it's something that it's not. Um, and the biggest thing is real estate is sales. 
the beauty is you're selling your services. You're not selling the houses. So it works for me because I absolutely believe in my service and commitment to working for my clients. Um, but really, it's like pushing a snowball uphill for three years yeah. until you really start to get your momentum. And most people can't handle that three years of just grinding every single day. But the payoff's so good. I have a, a, a good buddy of mine here locally that he just grinded uphill snowball for years in the crash, you know, really kind of opened up his general brokerage, I think in 08 or 09 and our, our market hit bottom at 12. So a good solid five years, he was just, just pushing uphill, but he was pretty busy, you know, by the time he hit year three and then, you know, when the market came back, he was top, top of the food chain. I mean, he was, he was killing it just constantly, just consistently killing it because he worked so hard to build a name for himself. And then when the market started giving back, he was first in line. Yeah, and that's exactly what it's all about, is being top of mind. So you own real estate as well. What kind of real estate do you own? Uh, so I invest in single-family homes. Okay. So tell us about, like, um, tell us about, so how many how many single-family homes do you own right now? So I own six. Okay. And then I guess talk to us about the, the texture of those homes, you know, how big they are, what, what attracted you to them, uh, how long you've held them, what you're looking for when you're buying, uh, why would you sell, when would you sell, stuff like that. Yeah, all the things. Um, so the main reason I do single family is I like the exit strategies associated with them. I like the cash flow and I like the appreciation because with single family, you can sell it to an investor, you can sell it to a single family, you can sell it to a retail buyer. And if your renter trashes it, you can sell it to a flipper. So you have a lot more options, which my husband's very risk adverse. So we started with single family for that. Now the downfall of single family is if it's vacant, it's vacant and you're not making money, which is why most people avoid it and do multifamily. But for me, our vacancy ratings are so low that the only reason it's vacant is because I took too long to turn it, not because there wasn't demand for it. And then for my criteria, I um, I self-manage three of them, and then I have two of them professionally managed, which I switched that last summer during the middle of south season because I was too busy to get them rented. What about um, the, the sixth so one? With, um, self-managed. Oh, so you, you self-managed four of them? Uh, yes. Sorry. Oh, okay. I just, uh, closed on the sixth one in January and I haven't rented it yet. So I it's see. not even I'm with you. in my mind is one that I think about. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I was counting. No, I, was like, I had both my hands up and I was like, Oh, like, we're missing one. Um, yeah. So I buy within 40 minutes from my house and then my buying criteria is newer than 1970s. Um, at least three bedrooms and at least two bathrooms. And then square footage, I actually try to stay on the lower end because renters care more about the bedroom bathroom count than they do about the square footage. So that saves me money when I'm buying out. So what was that last part? You try to stay on the lower end? On the lower end the of the square footage. Yeah, because it's all about bedroom bathroom count. Okay. So do you buy discounted properties or are you paying full retail? Um, discounted. So how I bought my first two is moving into them. So, uh, house hacking. So the first one, we lived there for two years, moved out. And at that point you actually had to have two years of tax returns 
for your rental account as income, that rule's gone away. So you don't have to do that anymore. But we've moved into an apartment for two years and then bought our second house, renovated it, and then moved to our third house, which we, um, our youngest was old enough to start school. So we committed to not moving again. So then the next one we bought, we bought with hard money and renovated it. Uh, we bought that through a wholesaler. And then the next one I bought from a client who was going to sell their house, but the numbers didn't make sense. Um, and then I ended up selling that one a year later. And then the next one I bought, I actually bought off the MLS and I put 20% down and renovated it. And then my most recent, recent, I feel like I'm missing one. Maybe not. Um, my most recent one, I also bought from a client that it had space to finish in the basement and needed a renovation and forced value on that by renovating it. So you mentioned that you buy within 40 minutes. Why not 35 or 45? Because uh, 40 minutes is the amount that my contractor, handyman, will still service all of my properties. Nice. So he'll only drive 40 minutes from your house? Yep. <laughs> so for him, it's actually closer to an hour from his house. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I thought the the specificity of your of your criteria was 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 intriguing. You've really thought thought it out exactly what you want, um, you know. In the in the in the three bedroom, two bath, staying on the lower end of the square footage. About what square footage are are you usually trying to stick around? Um, so my smallest house is thirteen, and my biggest is twenty five hundred square feet. Okay, it's a big range difference. So. Let's get to the cash flow on this. What are you cash flowing or what is your goal to cash flow per property? Um, so my minimum is a hundred. So if I can get it and at the end of the day, I'm hundred after repairs, maintenance, CapEx, property management, a hundred. Um, all together, once I rent my last one, I'll have 3,500 a month in cash flow from the six properties. Wow. Is that after taxes, insurance, and mortgage? Yes. Yep. I'd say that's... Uh, so that's the, the cash in pocket. That's incredible. Because, see, the other thing, so what you are doing is, is really what I like doing. Um, you know, when I moved to Midway and I bought a house out there, I rented my house out here in Florida, and it was cash flow in that. It was it was really positive because just the market, um, the long-term rental market where my house is, is just super, super competitive. And I was able to get just a really high dollar, um, based on what my mortgage, it was, you know, it was a lot. I was surprised. Um, and that, I mean, I, it was the same kind of deal. It was my house moved out, bought another house, was renting out my old one. And, um, and it's a, it's a great strategy to do. And, and, and so, you know, for, for our listeners, for those of you that are, that are wanting to get started, this, this is like one of my most basic things that I recommend, especially to, to, you know, young couples that are, that are, you know, just getting married or young families buy your house. You're going to have to spend that money anyway, renting from somebody, you know, save up a little bit. It doesn't have to be much, you know, you can save up five, 10, 20 grand, um, and just do that over a couple of years and be consistent with your savings and then go buy a small house, you know, and actually in today's market in our market, actually inventory is not very good, but you know, before inventory, um, you know, kind of started shrinking, 
um, you know, we have a, a young couple in our office and that's what they did. They bought a house and they were paying less for their mortgage than they were for the house that they were renting and they were owning it and they were going to spend that money anyway. And now they're getting appreciation. And so you do that for three or four years and then, you know, or for two or three years. And this is what I do is I'm always saving about 20% of my monthly income. I'll give you one better. Well, let me, so about 20% of my income, it goes into mutual funds and savings and stocks and just, you know, whatever, I'm just putting it away. And my goal is to have, you know, I don't know, um, enough money to put as a 20% down payment, uh, in two years. That's kind of what I try to plan. And then I can buy something else and then we'll move into that. And then the whole idea is after five or 10 years, you know, you own four or five properties and, you know, you've just been buying them as you've gone down the road and now you're appreciating and you're offsetting your ownership costs from rental and all this other stuff. And that's how you, that's a really basic way to build long-term wealth, right? Right. Or there's the other option you could actually, you could use, if you're using it as a primary home, you could use an FHA loan. You could go buy a duplex, which would literally pay your mortgage and you could live rent-free. That's another option. I've if you want to live in a duplex. I mean, it's better than an apartment. <laughs> My wife doesn't want to live in a duplex. True. She wants a nice house in a HOA neighborhood with a gate at the front and a playground and a pool. <laughs> oh, if you're newly married, you can get I lo- away with I love you, sweetheart. <laughs> <laughs> now, I, I like it, too. Yeah, I don't mind the- that either. But it's, but it's, it's just they're different mechanisms. Sorry, Becca. Oh, I was going to say, that's exactly what we did. We... First house we bought with a no money down loan, first time home buyer. Second house we bought with a conventional 5% down loan. Third house we bought with a 20% down loan, and we just kind of built upon that. And then we decided we weren't moving anymore, so we had to learn alternate strategies. And so the beautiful part about stuff like that is that, you know, when you start out that very first home that you buy, you have no cash or just a little bit of cash for closing costs. You know, I can tell you when I was, when I was 25, 28 years old, you know, the thought of having $10,000 in my bank account to go put down on something was like, it's like, yeah, right. I'll never have that kind of money. You know what I mean? And yeah. it's like, but, but you just get started. And then all of a sudden, 10 years later, you've made small decisions to strategically buy real estate. And then you can start selling some of that stuff and have a hundred thousand dollars or $200,000, depending on equity and the market and different things like that. And that's a large chunk of cash that is really difficult to come by, particularly difficult to save or all the other stuff. And you can use that to leverage other opportunity to build wealth, like buy bigger pieces of real estate or, or other things like that, you know? So there's all those opportunities just by making little methodical decisions like that over a long period of time. Super smart. Okay, so I want to talk a little bit about your houses. So that 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 first home you said it was it was your first home. You 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 bought it. You lived in it. And then how long did you live there before you moved out and you rented it? Um. So we bought it in two thousand eight, and we turned it into a rental in two thousand ten. And how big was it? Was that a three two as well? Um. Yeah, three two, and we still own it, fifteen hundred square feet. Okay. Um. It was two years old when we bought it, so. Repair-wise on the house, I've had to replace the water heater, but that's about it. Uh, so it's pretty much new. It, well, it sounds like it was, mm-hmm. yeah. So I have a question yeah. for you. So we've had, we've had a lot of people that do birds on here. Do you use that method as well? Um, yes. So I did the burr on my fourth property. And I actually, I just refinanced all of my properties last year, and I paid off my primary residence. Nice. So, it, so I cheated on the burr method and 
made my nuts much smaller, which helped for qualifying for additional properties. Oh, smart move, especially in that market, how crazy it is. Um, so my other question is, when you go to renovate these um, renovate these properties, do you fix the main ticket items like roof, AC, water heater before you put them on the market for rental? Um, it depends. So I've done it three times now, and one of them, I haven't done the roof yet. Uh, but that one I redid, I did the furnace and the AC mainly because I moved them into the crawl space to make my bathroom bigger. And then uh, the other two I bought, I actually bought them because those were the things that were done, but cosmetically they were gross. So the expensive stuff was done, but because people couldn't see past how gross the carpet was or the cabinets, I was able to get a better deal on it. But my repair costs weren't that extensive. Okay. How long do roofs last in Utah? Here in Florida, we get maybe 10 to 15 if we're lucky. Uh, we have 20 to 30 is our roof. Okay, so you're not as concerned about the roof as we are here in Florida. Yep, we don't have hurricane winds to ruin it for us. Or the sun that kills them. Yeah. Although you guys have yeah, had some wind have, there no. in the last year. Yeah, it's true. We had hurricane wind in Salt Lake, which is wild. Ripped out a bunch of hundred old, hundred year old trees. I remember that was crazy. And an earthquake. Yeah. Last April. Yeah. <laughs> After they shut yeah, everything down, every year. then we get woke up by an earthquake, and I'm like, ah, the world's coming to an end. I knew it. <laughs> yeah, felt like it. Golly. So, um, when you're Tell us about the deal that you just closed on. Was that a was that one that you found on the MLS, or was that more of a wholesale one? Or tell us about that deal that you just closed on. What in January? Yeah, so that one, uh, it was a seller who was selling the property. Their father had passed away. They were selling it for him, and they had renters in there who had been in there for nine years, and just the property manager didn't take care of their quarterly checks, the renters didn't take care of the property. And initially the seller was going to sell it to the renters, but the renters couldn't qualify. And so I told the sellers, I said, I'll buy it for the same price you're offering it to the renters at. Um, Because it had three bedrooms, two bathrooms finished and it's built in 92, but it still had additional two more bedrooms and one more bathroom that could be finished. And so, but they had done the roof, they had done the furnace and the AC in the last three years. So I was able to buy it off market just because it was a potential listing for myself. And the sellers didn't have to worry about showing it, doing any of the repairs, um, or getting rid of the renters. So we just finished it. Um, I bought it for three eighty. I put thirty thousand into it, and it's aftermarket or after renovation value is four fifty. If I were to sell it, so not like slam dunk flip number, but there's enough equity in it that if I had to sell it today, I'd have no problem. What's your monthly outflow on that? Um, so that one, my mortgage is fifteen thirty five, and its rent rate is twenty two hundred. 
You think you can get twenty two hundred for it? Um, I've had a couple applications that I have turned down. Um, so there's interest. I've had the showing, but I haven't rented it yet. So we shall see. Well, how's the market out there? I mean, when I so when I left, so I left in June, and and uh, we still have an office there, but it's all short term vacation rentals. And the ski season was um, it was okay. It was a little better than last year um, in terms of occupancy and revenue, but but uh, generally, uh, the long term market seems to be um, pretty strong, at least up in the Park City and Midway and Heber City area. Um, how is the long-term market down there? Cause I know that we've had a huge influx from California and some other States, Oregon, Pacific Northwest and stuff as well. Um, just people trying to, you know, come to freedom, I guess, <laughs> just to put it bluntly, um, you know, but, um, I mean, how is demand market demand for long-term? How, how is that for you? Um, so I listed that property last week and I've had 600 views and I think I've had, I don't do the showings myself. I have people on my team do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think we've had 10 to 15 people through and I've wow. had four applications. I think and that's... vacancy ratings themselves, they're about 3%. Yeah, I think that sounds outstanding. So it's been great. I'm just kind of picky because I just renovated it. So I don't want to rent it just to anyone. Yeah. Well, so that's a good question. You said that you turned down those applications. Why did you turn them down? Um, so they have a mastiff dog and mastiffs are known for being very, uh, predatorial and protective. And I wasn't willing to risk it for my insurance. Yeah. Yeah. That makes perfect sense. Plus who knows what they'll do to your home. That's true. Big dogs. I mean, I've had, I've had good experience. I've had, um, two renters in a row in my Florida house that both had big dogs and they were they were fine, um, but but you there's definitely a risk there um, for sure. What what is your general policy on pet friendly? Do you typically are you typically okay with with whatever? Or, or I mean, I, I know that obviously that one was not, but generally, like, do you have a size limitation or um, or generally try to not have pets? Or what, what do you usually do on your long terms? Um, so I do allow pets. I find it gives me the biggest rental pool in terms of people coming to look at the house. Um, I only allow two. So if they have like three cats, two dogs, it doesn't work. Um, and then I will not allow people to do puppies under a year old. Smart. What, what do you use to advertise for rent in Salt Lake? Um, so the main source we use is a website called rentler.com. Okay. Um, we have a local classification website called KSL that used to be where everyone posted and then they partnered with the Brentler and that's where most of the locals find stuff. And then I'll put stuff on Facebook and uh, Zillow is another one for out of state. For our long term, Zillow has been, been the most effective, but I, I'm the same. I would, we always put everything on Rentler and Zillow and those are the two. And we usually get something from one of those two. Yep. Very cool. So, you had mentioned earlier how you, that you keep your vacancy rating vacancy rates uh, really low. How, how do you do that personally? What is one of the what are some of the things that you do to manage your low vacancy rates? Um, so I use professional photography for all of my listings, same as if I was selling a house. So you really get people invested in the house before they even step foot in the door, and then I'll do an open house style where I'll show the house while my renters are still living there. 
so then I can get a rental contract signed before my current renters move out. And then as long as I manage the turnover with the cleaning crews, it's pretty seamless. What do you typically, sorry, Kyle, were you going to? I was going to say just how extensive is your rehabs and does that help with your increase your, I I know it does, but what's the extent of your rehabs and how much are you increasing your rent by rehabbing them? Um, so the example, the house that I bought, the renters were paying 1300 for it as a three bed, two bath, and they were probably still too low. It probably would have been 16 how it was. So finishing the additional two bedrooms and bathroom and repainting, recarpeting, uh, we refinished the cabinets, added some can lights, um, bring it up to that 22. And it is in a very nice neighborhood. It's one of those houses that the house goes to nicer schools than it probably sh- would have anywhere else. So that also added a lot of value, which is why I was willing to pay a little bit more for it than I traditionally have in the past. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so for those of you that are listening, I don't know if you heard... <laughs> So I, I work in an office and I have other team members that are here and um, hopefully the uh, the microphone doesn't pick up some of the other voices. But if it does, we're working. And I was also getting another phone call. So um, how do you screen tenants? So you have four applications. Um, what are some of the things that you look for in terms of or what are some of the tools that you use in order to screen them? I mean, it's one thing to look at the application and say, yeah, the Mastiff, uh, I'm not super excited about that. But what are some of the other things that you're looking at to make sure you're placing a great tenant? Um, so I have three main criteria. The first one is your income has to be three times the rent amount. And that one's just in case of economical change, it's not going to be hard for you to continue to pay your rent. Uh, The second one is credit score has to be above 600. And every time that I falter on that, I always have a much harder time with maintenance and repairs and just the renter in general, even if I take a double deposit for under 600 credit score. And then the third one is no evictions whatsoever. Because in Utah, to get evicted, you have to be a big pain. Like, I know other states, their eviction rules are different. But here, to go through the whole eviction process and to have an eviction on your record, you probably did something wrong, and I don't want to deal with it. So those are my three, like, absolutes. And then the rest, I'll call landlords, and I'll call their current and their previous landlords. Because their current landlord might want them out and tell me whatever they think is necessary, but their previous landlord typically will give you the real rundown. That's a good point. What? How, is there a, a database of evictions, or do you, is there a public records or anything like that that might have that, like a history of that? Yes. Yeah, so Rentler, um, as part of their credit check, background check, will pull if they have any evictions. So you'll, that'll pop up? Yeah, once they fill out the application and give it the system authorization, it'll pull all that information for me. Cool. So, I, yeah. But I've also found just... Go ahead, Becca. Sorry. I was going to say, I've also found just putting that in the ad deters a lot of people who know they don't qualify. Got it. And then how do you determine price? Um, price, I 
it's similar to how you price a house. I get on the computer and I look at what similar to my house is renting for like same square footage, but 20 years newer. I'm not going to compare those two because even though my house is completely renovated, people are going to pay the premium for new versus my house. So I try to find as similar to my house as possible. And then I'll also talk to property managers in the area. Very cool. Um, so when do you, so you have six places right now, you just bought one. Um, when do you make a decision or how do you make a decision on when you want to let something go? Um, so I buy with the intention of keeping it forever. Um, so then I'm thinking long-term on the functionality of the house and the property. And then every time they come up, because I'm a realtor, I run the value on the house and I, look at is there a better place to put my capital so um that's why i sold the one the value had gone up drastically in the time i had had it it wasn't my favorite rental i didn't like the floor plan that much so when the opportunity came to sell it and buy one closer to my core area where i really like to own investments i took the opportunity okay so what's your long-term goal? How many are you trying to own here in the future? What's your five, 10 year goal? Are you looking to get into multifamily or are you going to stick with single family? That is the question of the day. Um, my original long-term goal was to get to the 10, pay them off and just have great cash flow. But I feel like that's too slow. So I'm currently debating about liquidating and getting into a commercial but the interest rate of the mortgages I have right now are fantastic. So I'm also debating about buying the 10 and using the 10 more like a credit card to get the down payment for the commercial properties. Because with traditional financing, you can only have 10 homes on your credit. So you're kind of limited. So if I max that and then roll to commercial, but I haven't actually decided the direction I'm going yet. I did not know that. That is uh, interesting. So if you want to like buy a house, move in, live there for a couple of years, buy another house, move in, live there for a couple of years and do that, you can only, your conventional, normal consumer, residential credit, whatever, there's a max of 10. Yep. I didn't know that. It's more traditional banks though. A lot of credit unions will do a lot better. Right. Well, yeah, and I, I get that. But like if you're just like walking into your normal home loan banker person they might be like so you need to sell a house that'd be a good problem to have though. yeah <laughs> yeah and credit unions do have portfolio loans but yeah. they're typically more restrictive have higher interest rates and just don't make the cash flow as great as just traditional 10 15 20 percent down loans for investment do you have any preference on on um like lease terms, do you generally only want to do like a 12-month, one-year lease? Or if you had a tenant that you really liked in terms of the, their application and they wanted to sign a three-year lease but wanted a discount, would you be open to something like that? Or do you have a preference or any experience with any of that? Um, yeah, I personally only like to do 12-month leases because I like the option to not renew with people. Um, because when people first do application, they look fantastic. They're really nice. But after a year of them living in the property, how often they call, how often they complain, um, I don't want to get stuck with someone who 
is obnoxious for three years just because they paid in advance. Yeah, it's a good point. And rent rates go up every month. They're every year. So I don't want to tie myself into three years ago market. Well, it's good perspective. You know, I, I've had pretty good luck with, with tenants, but I also haven't had uh, the volume that, that you've done, um, at least from a personal perspective, not even from a professional perspective. But, um, but yeah, I mean, that's good. That's a, that's good uh, advice, really, to be looking at this and going, you know, hey, let me get to know these people for a year first. What yep. kind of what kind of work do you usually have to do in between renters? Um, so that's the beauty of the method I use because I do a ton of renovation up front. Most of the time, it's just cleaning, and I do have a portion of their deposit held back for cleaning. So I'll have a professional cleaner come in, uh, clean the carpet because I do allow pets. But it's just a weekend process, really. How often do you replace that carpet? Because in Florida, we we rarely have carpets in properties just because of the weather here. But how Carpet's often, evil. Yes. Anyways, how often um, do you replace But it's it? nice in cold climates. I'm trying to think. So I have one that, the one I've owned the longest, I've replaced the carpet twice. And we're on 11 years. But the only reason I had to replace it the second time was because the renter's dog ruined it. But he was also the renter that had sub 600 credit score. So it was probably my fault. But I let them in and their dog ruined the carpet. Um, but I'd say probably. But beyond that, the other ones I haven't done the carpet. So. Well, it's super interesting. Every five years. Every five, wow, that's, I mean. You could never do that, but in Florida, I was going to say, but but it also kind of depends on the carpet you get. You know, I, I've I've had I've had experience with cheap, crappy carpet that you're lucky to get two years out of. You know, from new, and then you spend twice as much money on good, high quality carpet, and you know, two years later, you're like, wow, this is still in really good shape. And it's surprising how durable carpet can be if you just put the good stuff in. But um, you get what you pay for, but. Uh, certainly every, everybody's circumstances and experiences are different in Florida. It's, it's hot all the time. And so not having carpet in the bedrooms is, is okay. It's, it's, you know, acceptable. People are cool with it. Um, in Utah where it's cold, you know, I mean, having tile throughout, it's just very jarring to the feet when you get up in the morning, carpet in the bedrooms is, I would say more standard or conventional. Yeah. Um, I was, I had another question, but I was trying to think. Just totally lost my train of thought. Oh, what I was going to comment on, um, at least for the, for those of you that are listening, I, I get this a lot where people are, are looking at, um, they want to do like kind of what we were talking about where they want to buy. And then, you know, they'd like to have long-term actually, I was just talking to my cousin about this not too long ago. One of my cousins, um, a really simple, uh, easy way to get into like long, long-term real estate investing without getting too complex. You know, maybe you've got a full-time job and you don't really want to you know, become a professional real estate investor, but you just want to build some wealth is, is do like what we've been talking about where you, you buy, you live in, you already get to know it. You already know, you know, the location, you know, the things that make that area uh, attractive, you know, the things that need to be done to the house in order to make it more durable because you've been living in it. Um, you know, all those things. And then when you put a place, a renter, you also know the things about the house, you know, that they're not going to be, you can call their bluff if they're, if they're complaining about certain elements or certain aspects of it, or things are, they're saying things are broken. You'd be like, ah, I think you broke it. You know what I mean? That you know all that stuff and it's a simple, easy way to do it. But one of the biggest things that I get from people is they're going, ah, I just, 
I don't want to manage the whole rental thing. And I don't really want to pay somebody else to manage the rental thing. And my experience and Becca, if you have anything to add to this, that'd be great. My experience is that if you do your due diligence on tenants, um, by, you know, doing the credit check, doing the background check and, you know, checking references, uh, previous landlords. Um, I really like your thing of not just going with the current landlord, but the previous landlord before the current one is really smart. But if you do all of those things and you follow your own rules, my experience has been you usually get a good tenant. Um, and then if you only do a 12 month lease like that, um, you got 12 months. And then if, if it's not working out with that tenant, you can give them the boot and you can move on to a new tenant. But my experience has been, I mean, I haven't had any issues really, you know, other than just minor things because I've done those things. I mean, it sounds like that's kind of been your experience as well, Becca. Yeah. And my biggest recommendation with people who are nervous about it is find a good handyman in your area to deal with those problems and have a budget for it. Because that was the biggest hiccup we had is my husband didn't want to go do the repairs. Like he could, but he didn't want to, he didn't feel comfortable being at other people's homes. And so by having the handyman, available and ready to go take care of those because it's not it's never anything big it's always obnoxious little things but that makes it so much easier and i literally have been called once for a toilet in the last 11 years and their daughter shoved an apple down the toilet so everyone talks about how that's a thing but once in 11 years it's not going to break you Right. And those things happen. It's real estate, but that's also been my experience is that usually it's not like in the movies. You know what I mean? I don't know if you ever yeah. saw, do you ever see RV with Robin Williams? No, no. Well, that, that movie, it's like, if you, if you watch that movie, it's like all of the classic things that could go wrong in an RV vacation, they pack it all into one movie. And like, if you own an RV, like you never experience any of those things, you know what I mean? But it's just all the normal stuff. And that's the thing. It's, it's usually never that painful. Um, unless you're like on the set of a movie. But uh, the other thing is a lot of these services, they have built-in credit check and background check. So you were, you mentioned Rentler. Zillow also has their own service uh, system in the back end, cozy.co, and there's probably a half a dozen others around the country. And uh, prospective tenants can fill out an application. They pay a fee to that service, so it costs the landlord nothing. And then you get a background check and credit check. You get all that stuff basically given to you. Um, and it's really neat because you can review that. And, and so it's it's not like you got to go out and figure out how to do a credit check on somebody. These systems have that with like embedded in their service. So it's pretty handy. Yeah. And it's really nice because it has all the legalese. So you're not worried that you're doing something wrong because the contract or the application says they give you permission to call these people and contact them. That's right. So it's really nice. What were you going to say, Kyle? I was going to say, you guys have had easy long-term care, not long-term care, long-term tenants in lower-income mobile homes are quite a bit different story. Oh, yeah. Definitely some nightmare stories there. I bet. So, I've been, I haven't, but my property manager's been called every name in the book and been threatened with all sorts of type of lawsuits, but none of them ever worked. Anyways, it's a completely different ballgame. And well, that's actually why I chose single family is someone who's paying that much for a single family isn't living there because of necessity. They're living there because they want to. And I found managing them much easier than the duplex condo. I can barely afford my housing people. Yeah. 
and even I mean, even in every class, middle, lower class, there's still some good renters out there. So we even in my mobile home park, we only have a select few really out of the thirty that have any real issues. So again, it's just like you said, it's all about screening your tenants and making sure you find the right ones for your um, home or park or whatever you're renting out. It's just a very important aspect of long-term care, long-term rental. Well, Becca, it was really great having you on the show today. Um, where can people find you online? Um, so I'm on Facebook, um, the real estate agent, Becca Summers. My website is, I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, or if you just Google Becca Summers, Utah Realtor, um, you'll find my Google page and it has all my reviews and contact information. Awesome. Well, I'll find your website and I'll have it linked in the show notes as well for everybody. And um, really appreciate you having, having you on and, and sharing with us some of your experience in, in, uh, in real estate investing and, and even long-term ownership. And uh, with that, hope you guys have a great day.